Our first scripture today comes from Luke 14, 1 through 24. Jesus at the Pharisee's house. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you has a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteousness. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. And our second scripture comes from Isaiah 55, one through three. Come, all ye who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Please listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the riches of fare. 
Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make you an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Have you noticed how many of these meals with Jesus that we've been looking at have a sense of awkwardness to them? He's eating with Matthew, a tax collector, considered a traitor, labeled among the worst of sinners. Everyone hated tax collectors. Awkward. Simon the Pharisee, he's hosting Jesus and the disciples, and a sinful woman shows up likely uninvited. And this prostitute begins to lavish Jesus with perfume. Can you say awkward? Jesus had just finished a long day of teaching and healing and and then thousands gathered and they were getting hungry. Oops, we forgot to book a caterer. (laughs) Awkward. And last week, Jesus ate at the home of Mary and Martha. And we listened in on this kind of awkward dynamic between the two sisters as they try to serve Jesus in very different ways to show them their devotion. Well, this morning, Jesus finds himself in the middle of another very awkward situation. Uh, This one, I, I think, kind of his own making. First, Jesus is invited to the house of of a ruler among the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, remember, they're they're watching him carefully. So that's the first level of kind of awkwardness here. You know what it's like when you're invited into, you know, maybe kind of a hostile situation? Because remember, the Pharisees didn't like Jesus at this point. and, and, And that people are watching you. Hoping, just hoping that you would mess up so they can jump on you? That's what was happening here. Second, Jesus heals a man with dropsy, uh, what we would call edema today. Uh, It's an accumulation of fluids in your body. Jesus heals this man in the middle of the meal, and if that wasn't enough, he does it on the Sabbath. The equivalent to us, he he did it on a Sunday, although Sabbath would have been a Saturday back then. And and so there was this source of friction. And and, and this party that's happening is starting to get kind of intense. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees, get this, had 1,521. So that's 1,521 ways that you could break the Sabbath. They had them all listed out. If a person walked more than 750 yards, you broke the Sabbath. You couldn't wear a heavy coat because if you took it off and had to carry it, that was work. You broke the Sabbath. You couldn't tie a knot. You couldn't kill a flea or a tick or a fly. A woman was not allowed to look in the mirror because she might see a gray hair and have to pull it out. That would have been reaping. (laughs) All right? 
So, so the Pharisees, they, they cared more about rules made by people than they did about people made by God. And, and not only are people important to God, but all people are important to God. And this was a lesson to those who were fighting that day for the best seats around this dinner table. And just maybe it's a lesson that we need to hear today as well. Jesus makes this dinner even more awkward now because he notices how people are choosing these positions of honor around the table. So, so he gives this kind of extended speech, insisting that instead they should choose the lowest places, the, the least best seats around the table. And when he's done insulting the guests, he turns his sight on the host. So, so here's this leader among the Pharisees, and he tells the host, stop inviting those who can give back. Instead, invite the poor, invite the crippled, the lame, the blind. So, so by now, everyone has been deliberately insulted by Jesus at this party. I, I, if I kind of figure it up, it maybe it's 96% awkward at this time, and we're not done yet. <laughs> One more level of awkwardness to come. You know how people say things to try to break the awkwardness? Have you ever been in that type of a situation? And so someone at this dinner party with, with Jesus and these Pharisees tried to do that. And, and he makes this very valiant effort, but it failed. He tried to save the situation. Well, Jesus blessed is everyone who will eat bread at the kingdom of God. He's trying to diffuse this awkward situation. In a way, we, we, could kinda, we can kind of incorporate that into the Beatitudes that Jesus was talking about in the Gospel of Matthew. Blessed is everyone who will eat that heavenly banquet in the kingdom of heaven. It sounds great, right? But it doesn't work. Jesus sets off into another story that ramps up this awkwardness even more. You see, the kingdom of heaven is so radically different than the way that we operate. So much so that we tend to see it maybe as inappropriate, a bit socially awkward. The way God operates is so contrary to the way that we think, we tend to see it as weird. Maybe even at times a little embarrassing. Sometimes we don't know how to react. It's just, it's, it's awkward. It's not only uncomfortable, which we've talked about, but it's awkward. Well, if that was true in Jesus' day, it's true for us today as well. And so at this critical moment, this awkwardness is happening, Jesus tells a parable. There are three sets of characters in this story. The first is God. Okay, God is throwing this lavish party. And Jesus responds to this guy who says, Blessed are those who eat the bread in the kingdom of heaven, who sit at this heavenly banquet. Jesus responds with these words. 
He teaches us that God is throwing a party. He's inviting many, many people. And I don't know about you, but as I read this, this just isn't another party. It's a feast. It's a grand banquet. Has anybody heard of or been to like the Brazilian steakhouse down in Columbus? I, I mean, you, this is what I'm thinking of as a banquet. I, I, I mean, you know, every style of meat and, and every style of side dishes that you could think of and just, you know, come on in and sit down. Eat to you, your, your heart's desire. It's lavish. But you know, not only that, but I think this is one of those parties that's even more than just about the good food. It's about a good time sitting around this table uh, at this banquet. Souls are going to be filled. And those who are there are going to be filled with joy. What a banquet. What a feast, right? It's going to take place when Jesus returns one day. Until then, we're supposed to live now like the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, like the kingdom has come. Our lives now should reflect what the kingdom of God is like. The second set of characters here in this parable are those that are invited. Folks, that's us. But here's the thing. When you throw a party, what kind of a person usually shows up? Teenage girls. Teenage girls throw a party? What's going? Teenage girls are going to show up, right? Oh, and the what? Ooh, okay. Pastor Ken learning something here. You know, uh, there, there was a birthday party downstairs yesterday. And, and so, I mean, you know, you think about it, I mean, you know, an eight-year-old boy shows a party, and he's probably going to have all of his eight-year-old friends coming over to that party. Um, you know, gamers, okay, those of you who like to play games, okay, you throw a gaming party, and those folks that like to play games are going to show up, the really smart people. <laughs> who shows up when God throws a party. You would think it would be the religious people, right? The members of the church, the preachers, the pastors, those who come to worship each Sunday. That's not what's happening here. First of all, let's look at the culture of Jesus' day again. Back then, it was custom to send out invitations and then you would count those who accepted that invitation and prepare a party based upon the numbers. You're all familiar with RSVP, right? In French, respondez, s'il vous plaît. Please respond. And say, you know, I, I'm coming. And so when the invitation was returned, you knew how many people to prepare for. So all the people that we read about in this passage said they're coming. They've all been invited to the party. And they said, yes, we're coming to this grand feast, this banquet, yes. But then back then, a second invitation would go out when the party was ready. And so the second invitation 
is sent, and what happened? All these people that said they were coming all of a sudden had excuses. Folks, Jesus told this story to make us think a little bit this morning. When God throws his party, what kind of excuses are we going to come up with that keeps us away? Those who readily accept the invitation, those whom the party is intended for, those whom on any other occasion, we're the ones that were there. God's throwing it, so he wants people of faith to be involved. But what kind of excuse are we going to have? Kind of like being offered tickets to the front row of a World Series game or a box seat at a Barry Manilow concert. You know, I, I just couldn't help but throw Barry Manilow in there. You, you see, you know, the day arrives and, oh man, I'm really sorry, I can't go, I have to wash my hair this morning. Or, you know, just something totally absurd. That's how these excuses sound to God. Preoccupied with stuff that really doesn't matter, but it keeps us from the party. And Jesus is telling us that that can happen to us too. We have to be awake and aware. Remember, Jesus is telling this story at a dinner table full of religious people. The point is clear. Jesus is telling the religious that they're about to miss out on God's party. They're choosing to miss out. They're coming up with all these excuses. Some of the people that go to church regularly, who even lead the churches, are going to miss out on the party. I mean, does that hit you like a ton of bricks this morning? That you've been invited to this banquet, you've accepted, but when the time comes, oh wait, God, it's just not a good time for me today. I've got to do whatever. God is inviting us every day to serve him. And how often do we respond with, sorry God, I can't just right now. That brings us to the the third set of characters here in Jesus' parable. God is lavish in his invitation to this party. All are invited, but it's the unexpected people that are the ones that that show up and are going to make it in. The host has invited guests. He's been publicly snubbed. His standing in the community has plummeted. And so the host does something different. And who's the host? Are you following along with me? God. He no longer invites the respectable people of the community, the people that can pay him back. He invites those who can never pay him back. He invites those that would never make someone else's party. Can you picture Jesus looking into the eyes of these guests? And in verse 24, For I tell you, 
none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. His dinner guests, the, the religious people, are excluding themselves from the party that God has planned, that God is throwing. The party's going to happen, but it's going to be the unexpected people that will be willing to attend. Because those that we think would be there, turning our backs on God. Those that the scriptures say we should be helping, right? The poor, the needy, the outcast, the widows and the prisoners, the orphans, the, the naked, those are in need of clothing. If we were having this dinner with Jesus, here's what I think he would be saying to us. First, don't be one of those who respond to the first invitation and then miss out on the party. What in it, what in your life is keeping you from God's invitation? What excuses are you giving God for why you're not available to be part of his kingdom here and now? Second, I think Jesus is telling us to, to be a reflection of his kingdom. When people come here to worship with us for the first time, I want them to be able to say, I felt welcome. No matter who they are. We should want them to see a contagious community of grace, a, a safe place for messy people, a little bit of God's kingdom right here on earth as it is in heaven. So we should go out of our way to show radical hospitality. And, and, and the third thought, you're on the guest list no matter what you've done, no matter what you haven't done, no matter how many times you failed and messed up, no matter how many times somebody has slapped a label on you, you're invited to God's party. Jesus died for your sins. And there's an invitation with your name on it. Not because you deserve it, but because God loves you. He's graciously opened up his home to you to have this grand feast, this banquet. Don't respond with an excuse. This morning, Lester Reidenball from Kilbuck is with us in church this morning, and I think I can say that this story would resonate with Lester. There was a time in his life, maybe much of his life for that matter, that Lester would have considered himself one of those unexpected guests. I don't know, maybe he still thinks of that way. But he has come this morning to share his testimony about how God has touched his life. 
Again, this, this parable that Jesus shares in the story from the Gospel of Luke this morning, this dinner that he's having at the house of this Pharisee, is that God's invitation is for all. And how Lester hopes to share that with others who might find their lives at a crossroads. So, Lester, I invite you to come up here, and we're, we're going to transition and outfit him here with the mic so everybody can hear. This way. Thanks. Uh, good morning, everybody. Um, <laughs> I may get up and move around. I got anxiety problems, and uh, <laughs> this is putting a lot of pressure on things. But uh, all right, so <clears throat> I grew up in Millersburg uh, until about, I think, sixth grade. And there was a lot of fighting in the house when I grew up, mom and dad. Uh, Dad raced late models, and they were pretty in debt, and there was always money problems, and they were both young. Uh, dad, you know, he wasn't uh, very much of a dad. Uh, he would beat me and Mom up quite frequently. Uh, I remember he would grab me by my hair and just run me my head into the wall. Did you see that hair? Yeah. <laughs> so... Okay, so I, to, to deal with that stuff, I guess I, I acted tough at school. I was a bully. Um, I was in football. I was fairly popular, <laughs> I mean, with everybody that, uh, that I grew up with at that period. Uh, looking back on it, I don't know what would have been better, what happened or if mom and dad would have stayed together, I probably would have ended up killing him. So the reason they split up was because I had had, well, let me say this, because this ties into uh, the abuse. I was looking for dad's handgun because he, he, I'd seen him threaten mom with it. He threatened me with it. So when they started fighting, then I went to look for the thing. And when I found it, I also found a stack of pornography. So that comes in later in life. But I, I did everything I could to try and make myself feel better through, throughout the years or whatever. Um, I pulled a shotgun on Dad uh, when he, he had Mom bent over the table smacking her. And when he turned around to come at me, then Mom kicked him in the junk and dropped him and basically we were out of the house within a week or two. Uh, so then we moved to Elyria. The courts had put a thing in place that there was a no contact order between me and dad until the time I was 18. Um, but then he found us and then we moved again uh, to Wayne County this time. And when I got to Wayne County, I was like, 
I was the minority. Uh, in the apartment complex I grew up in, I think there was maybe two white families. And uh, for three years, I got beat up every day coming home from school. And all they really wanted me to do was fight back. And, and when I did, then they accepted me. But uh, So we, were, we didn't have much money either. So, you know, I was just a little kid. We, we were stealing stuff all the time. I mean, uh, I had this little side hustle where I was taking bikes and I'd steal your bike right off your porch and mismatch and then resell these bikes, uh, me and my buddies. Uh, so then I was smoking weed. Uh, I was getting drunk. Uh, everything about me was sinful. Uh, I was carrying around a lot of hurt. And... The drinking, you know, I, I mean, I was a full-blown alcoholic by the time I was 15. And uh, I think I got my first gun when I was, well, I had a gun before I had a license. And I was selling cocaine before I had a license. Uh, some of the guys in the apartment complex would pay me and my buddy. They'd just give us a big bag of weed and we'd smoke weed all day on the roof. And then, you know, making sure if the cops come in the apartment complex, they got a heads up. So I graduated from that. And my first weed deal was 10 pounds. Uh, I sold to the owner of the uh, bar. It's closed down now right there by the tracks. They closed it down because there was always shootings. Uh, so then... From there, I guess my girlfriend, this has been, I'm probably 19 at this point. So my girlfriend, she's 25, she's a stripper. Uh, I'm hooked on cocaine. Uh, I rob a guy, we go to Florida. Uh, she's a stripper. She, we're staying in $20 hotel rooms a night. We're traveling around. We, I ended up getting in some trouble down in Florida with some guys, and then we moved to Tennessee where her sister was. And then we bounced around from Tennessee back to Florida and around there. And then uh, I guess from there, oh yeah, Grandpa. Grandpa, which Grandma, she buried out there somewhere. Uh, but Grandpa said, you need to get back home because Grandma ain't doing too good. Well, I got back up here from Tennessee and uh, Grandma was alive for like nine more years. <laughs> but uh, so when I got up here then, once the cops got to know me, they, uh, they, they rode me pretty hard. You know, they kept an eye out for me or whatever. And uh, the Lord kept setting me down. 30 days, 45 days, 60 days, nine months. I just kept going back to jail. I never went to jail till I got to this county. But, of course, 
most people in this county probably didn't act like I did. And uh, I just, you know, I didn't have no guidance. <laughs> I was trying to be a man, and I didn't even know what a man was. I thought it was carrying a gun and selling drugs. So, I still, uh, not that I'm proud of this or anything at all, but I still got the highest bond ever set in Holmes County. Uh, on my last go-round there, I was, I was just hurt, but I was, um, I, I, I had a hand in polluting this community. Uh, So when the cops kicked my door in, uh, there was 43 police officers in four counties. This was right down here by Miller, or uh, across from Walmart. And uh, I don't know how many felonies they actually had on me. But then uh, I was looking at like seven years, and then they told me, if I didn't cooperate with them, that uh, they was going to bring the gun on me, and that would triple everything. So I was looking at like 21 years. So uh, I say decided I was going to help them, and uh, I'm glad I did. I mean, I took a lot of fentanyl off the streets and stuff. They they pretty much got me out of everything. Um, I put a, well, the, the guy that I bought some drugs off down in Columbus, turns out he was a probation officer. Uh, so that helped me out. But I was still addicted to meth after they got me out on my trouble. And I was at, I just wanted to die. That's all, I just... There's no point in my life. I wasn't no good for nobody. I wasn't no good for my daughter. I wasn't no good for my boss. I wasn't no good for anybody. And I, I begged the Lord, just take, just end this for me. And what he did for me was give me a new life. When his spirit entered me, I understand what they say about the rebirth. I was on the ground rolling around. I felt so much love and forgiveness. And it felt like something left. And for a long time, I, I told people, like, I felt like a demon came out of me. But I heard a preacher on the radio saying how the veil had been torn. And the forgiveness is what I felt leave. Like, the forgiveness I received. And uh, I know that there's a lot of people out there like me that just uh, stuffs a bunch of stuff, alcohol and drugs. And um, I got three years sober other than... Um, 
prescribed medication because I got depression in it, anxiety and PTSD. Uh, but the Lord is my rock. And um, I was telling the pastor here that uh, we were, I went to this men's conference up in Canton at the Kent Baptist Temple through Moody Radio or what, uh, and and then I was listening to it on the radio a couple days later, and they put it on my heart, uh, or the Lord put it on my heart. To, there was a uh, 78 inmates from the jail, uh, well, Lorain County Prison, that attended that same uh, conference, and I know none of them or most of the guys didn't have a Bible. So I said something about getting them all Bibles. Because I know what the word means to me. I know how the Lord has healed me. And I'm never going back to what I was. It's complete night and day. And uh, I don't know what else. So, Lester was uh, baptized in what was it, 2020, Lester? I, th- I think it was 2020. Um, over these last three years, or year and a half or so, especially, we've been talking, he's felt that God has been calling him into a prison ministry. Of course, as we're having these conversations, we're in the midst of COVID, and and, and visitation was extremely limited. And, you know, as so many of us, as we've talked, you know, sometimes you you have to be patient and wait upon the Lord. And I firmly believe that the the Walkworthy Men's Conference that Lester went to was the door that God has opened for him to minister to folks that have been in his situation. And so we at Killbuck, we're going to sponsor getting Bibles for the 78 inmates at the Lorraine Correctional Institution we would invite folks here to, to join in that effort if you would like. We'll, we'll have some more information here over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we've talked with the Ministerial Association. As I was doing some initial research, I found out that there are 66 inmates from Holmes County in Ohio's prison system. And so we're looking at not only these, uh, the, these we'll say 80-some here, but what would it speak of Holmes County that if Holmes County provided Bibles to these prisoners that were sentenced from here? So again, we'll, we'll share more about that here in the next couple of weeks, but I wanted you to be familiar with, with Lester's story. Again, if, if we roll back to a year ago as we kind of reshape ourselves and what we're about, this time that, that we share together on Sunday mornings is is worship, yes, first and foremost, but it's also a time of witness for us to share how God is working in our lives. And, and God has 
turn Lester's life around 180 degrees. He said it night and day. And so we praise God for that, right? The same God that Lester has spoke of this morning and, and the transformation that he can make in our lives is the same God that can touch any one of us. May we call him God, serve him in that capacity. Go now, loving God, walking in his ways. May the way you live offer praise to God, our helper, and our strength. This week, invite the lowly to your table. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen.